She's now, right there in the what background. The what? She's in the background watching him. Yeah. She's going to be the bellhop. She falls in love with matches or is really attracted to him. But what the director and writer should have done is given us a reason, anything. Like maybe she was about to fall and he saves her. Anything. Give us a reason because it's not understandable. Oh, right. Why she, you know, she, she comes on to oh, him like boys. a John. Okay, time for work. Look at these guys. All right. They're going to do a not funny shtick now. Like, this gay guy keeps harassing me. Please be pretend to be my girlfriend. They're trying to pick up a girl. These guys are pretty funny. And she doesn't, she doesn't fall for it. And he's like, I thought it would work. They do get funny when they're in the bomb shelter. Oh, oh, they, oh you didn't tell me there's going to be a bomb shelter? Cool. Now I'm interested in this movie. When you go down to the boiler room, there's this the janitor kind of guy who's all Rambo-y. And, right. You know, he thinks that World War III is uh, coming, and he's got a bunker. So it, will he be there this Tuesday at the boiler room hosted by Carl? <laughs> yes. In his bunker, though. I, he doesn't right. often... He has a it is Springfield Bunker. Yeah, that's Garfield, New Jersey. Oh, Garfield, Garfield right. I'm thinking of uh, the Steakhouse. It's Monroe Street. Look it up. Yelp it. Oh, I will yelp it. I gave it one star. I came there Thanks. to talk loudly on a Tuesday night, and there was a comedy show. Uh, you get Now, Matches is catching on that Fran sort of likes them. Now, over Matches' shoulders, you will see the Duran Duran cover. No, oh, but are you sure it's the Duran Duran cover and not just that artist? It's that artist, but it's the particular. See, there's the artist over his shoulder now. Right. But they put. But I, was it Rio? They huh? shows a particular picture, and it's the actual picture. Okay, their matches sees a flame, and, and he, he gets, gets erect. His cigarette gets lit up. I like matches. They call me Matt. You know, they call me matches, Carl. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a match. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it, does it regard your dog's butt in my face? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> your dog's butt in my face. Oh. What a match. So now he sort of like gets rid of her and says, we'll go on a date. does not know how prostitution okay. works. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to talk to Eddie Deezes by the commissary. <laughs> they are perfect together. If, if uh, Fran and Eddie Weber somehow got some sort of role, that would have been perfect. You think but, Chuck uh, McCann was going over to the craft service table and he saw Fran Dresser and Eddie Deezes talk and he's like, yeah, I'll pass. Yeah, I quit. <laughs> That's why he's out of here. She's amazing in this, by the way, Fran. Oh, well. I think she's just doing Fran. Yeah, all right. There, yeah, there. You see the Duran Duran cover? Oh, it is. Doom, doom, doom. Boom, boom, boom. Doom, doom, doom. Boom, boom, boom. Ten minutes later. Ten minutes later. 
This yeah. is yeah. planet Earth. Girls on film. <laughs> Ten minutes later. Girls on film. Girls on film. You know what didn't happen to them? They really were set up to be like they should be like the Bee Gees, how we laugh at a corny group or something. That's, that's... They never got that stigma, but they were the top 80s thing. And, and not everything that was wrong with New Wave, but you know what I mean? Like we should listen to their songs now and think they're cheap and corny, but I like them. Oh, no, they had a, they had a total fan base. And Bee Gees may not be the best example because they, they were definitely songwriters. You know, like they definitely, they weren't there to, like they weren't puffy uh, Duran Duran has lasted a t- uh, turn in time. I just read a uh, book about Depeche Mode, and man, uh-huh. and that one of the guys was like a really bad heroin addict. He cleaned himself up, but it was rough for a oh, while. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. There's a lot of that. Sorry, this 80s movie is bringing us back to the album covers used as movie props uh, is bringing us back. No, it's just a coincidence. It was just so 80s, so... I bet you this okay, hotel so, that they shot this film at, Carl, they must have just had the, the, the photo up to begin with. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I'm sure that's right. Oh, it's the estate would not accept it. Like, if you did this now, you would get sued by the estate, by the artist, saying you don't have permission to fucking put my shit in your movie. Yeah, I guess you're right, because it's true that it was bought. Okay, what Matches did is he planted a bomb, and now he's calling Dracula to say there's a bomb in the building, and Dracula would be like, thank you. Oh, let me do this. This is a role, lifetime role for me. Dracula, it's me, Matches. The bomb's in the hotel. Click. <laughs> Where are you going? I just spoke to Dracula. I have to leave. So, she's saying to Matches, last night was wonderful, but last night was what we saw. <laughs> there was nothing. And she, so Matches is like, all right, you're crazy. He's so she's so in love with him, and, and it's not a, for any reason. Okay, now the producers of this film are um, are Irving Schwartz and Harry Hurwitz, as you know. And here we have Irvin Harry's Laundry Service. Wow, that's the cheapest Easter egg I've ever seen. Easter egg, right? That's a Marvel Cinematic Universe Easter egg, right there. Yeah. So. He put the bomb in the laundry downstairs, and then uh, our Peter Scolari said, hey, they forgot some laundry, and he made sure that it got into this van. And now by coincidence, Matches is following the van, Irv and Harry's laundry service. He doesn't even know it. Oh, so he's just taking a Sunday drive in Miami. Well, he's, he thinks his job is done. He's leaving. This needs the white elephant song. Baby elephant. The thing is, as a story, it doesn't make sense that he's leaving because he's so orgasmic for fire. What he really should be doing is staying around to see his handiwork. Now, the laundry service inexplicably parks and the guys get out for no reason. They didn't arrive at the laundry. Right, and that was a weird explosion, too. Oh, here's the funny voice. The, the explosion was way too much. It's not funny. I'll put it on. It's like he's saying, 
how was your appointment at the doctor? I'm terminal. I don't have long to live. Switzerland called. They want to know what to do with all your money. Like, oh, I could leave. If only I could find some girl. They're doing, like, gag me with the spoon uh, motions while they're talking. Well, yeah, the joke is supposed to be they. Oh, they Okay, so it here's matches. the joke. Matches is blown up like a cartoon. Yeah, and he came back. Uh, You're absolutely right. They parked the car at the intersection when the light turned red and walked out. Now, Eddie thinks it's a person from his own planet who's come to take him back early, and it's like an enemy or a nemesis. So he's calling up the dad and going, false alarm. Wah, wah, wah. Darn, darn. That Look how they despicable. squandered this horrible villain, right? Oh, and she shows up, too. Oh, hey, man, to have Christopher Lee on the phone, that is an honor for a movie, for a cheap movie. But if you got Christopher Lee, why keep him on the phone every scene? How many, how many hours do you think Christopher Lee spent shooting this film? Um, very few, because his scenes take place in that same room where he does the sword fight. And then he's got one scene in which he's with them in Miami. So very little. Right, and they shot that scene at the uh, premiere of the film, so they saved some time. He was showing up anyway. <laughs> Hello, we're the Funny Boys. Uh, we'll be performing at the Improv in the upstairs room. In the ice room. We'll be in the circus room. Please, won't you fuck us? Please, such <laughs> penises. So... Elliot is turning the hotel around, and really it's a lot of Tracy's doing. But Elliot's turned the hotel around, and we don't have anything with the father going, really? I'm surprised. You know what I mean? Like warming up to Elliot or something. We don't have any of that. Elliot. Okay, the hotel's doing so well that this woman is like a representing the worldwide blah, blah, blah hotels, <laughs> and they want to buy it, you know? I'm here from Florida Man Monthly Magazine, and we want to feature your hotel. Florida Man Magazine, no thanks. Are they from Manatee County? Well, no, is this? Yeah. County in Florida. Oh, is it, man? Yeah. Do you know what a manatee is? Oh, manatee. Yeah, sure. Oh, the humanity. Oh, manatee, the big blobby creatures, right? The fish right, creatures. and they swim around in the ocean, right? Yeah. So Bradington is in Manatee County, so I was down there, and everything is Manatee this and Manatee that. So I passed the store, it's Manatee Mattress, and I was like, I thought they slept in the water. That's going too far. I'm sorry, my suspense. Listen, manatees do not eat fried chicken. I don't understand this <laughs> shack of yours. Yeah, you should have Manatee kelp, if anything, <laughs> and it should be in the water. Guess he didn't need no kelp from anyone. So here we have a very unfunny scene that should be cut in which he's trying to catch frog. Oh, wow. really? Yeah. He's like Bill Murray? The, oh, no, he's not. He's not trying. He doesn't have a frog infestation. As a matter of fact, he's outside. But what's going on here is it clears the way for him to be out of the bunker, okay, so that the, the guys can bring girls down to the bunker, and it's the beginning of a party. I don't know. That's a dangerous stranger right there when you get invited to a bunker. They don't seem to mind. Yeah, it's good that we men can have a place we can get away to. Oh, did I call the Sparkle TC? No, not yet. Remember, we're on. Want to 
These guys, when they were doing it, were like, we are hilarious. This is going to kill. Listen, and I know I'm we're... sure that's what... Yeah. What's that? Oh, I know we're a comedy duo, and we have to t- <laughs> split the, the money we make. And uh, there's always, like, one of us is going to make it, and the other one won't. But not anymore. We're in a movie together. <laughs> yeah, we n- neither of us make it. I end up in Ferris Bueller. The guy did some stuff. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, like I said, he's a Star Trek connection. He was in Star Trek Enterprise. Golden Girls, Big Bang Theory. Now, you have a kid. Do you know the show Big Time Rush? I think so. Is it a PBS show? No, no, you don't know it. Okay, he was in that. Yes, I and do. Arrested... It's a PBS show, and they talk about fractions. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're correct. And Arrested Development, he was in. He was in some kind of wonderful Surf Ninjas. I've seen the last three. I've seen Surf Ninjas, some kind of wonderful, and Arrested Development. City of Industry? Uh... No. Okay, he worked as a developer for Sabrina the Teenage Wish, which he was a writer on Real Time with Bill Maher. He was a writer for Dharma and Greg. He was a writer for Blossom. Was he a rich kid in some kind of wonderful? Like he was in the party with Andrew McCarthy, and they're like, huh, tch. Right? I got to tell you, I did not go back into this guy's history for our show. And reach, I did not see. Carl, as, a, no. as, the, as our show's researcher, you have to go see some kind of wonderful again. <laughs> yeah, well. What's your favorite part at the beginning where the guy. kid's putting his garbage pill kids' cards in a, a card collectible folder? That is a pander right there. Okay, so they're doing sort of like a strip poker, and they get caught. Oh, Rambo's got him. And now they start getting funny. All right, good. Let's hear. Matches is up to no good again. Matches is back with Duran Duran picture. I ask you a question. If your laundry service van blows up, would you have a security in your hotel? Extra security? Yeah, would you, like, right. Would you start questioning? Would there be a big investigation? Would there be a... Now, it's the laundry service, not the hotel. Maybe it's that's the reason. It's the laundry service's business. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I heard their business is blowing up. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting huge. We're blowing up. Hi, I'm Cherry, and I'm Cherry's twin. Together we are Cherry and Cherry's twin. He's twins. I Here's have a name, you know. My name's Cherry. Okay. I have a name. So we're having more. I can't be your lover because I'm busy. This guy uh, has and issues. also we're having Sherry's song. Now, in the same way that the hotel, the people the real, the one who want to buy the hotel showed up, like... A guy from a record company shows up and goes, I understand you are the manager of Sherry and Sherry's twin. Yes, I am. We'd like to give them a contract. And he's still photographed. Now, the old ladies have made their way down to the bomb shelter and they're smoking pot. They got the little 80s joints. It's really cute. Right. And that's all they do in this film and they go away. So that's why I didn't even look them up. You know, that's actually Cheech and Chong and when they're uh, uh, <laughs> in drag. Yeah, they which said they fuck. did do with um Bosom Buddies. With Rip, Rip Taylor, right? Rip Taylor. 
and Cheech and Chong. They were in drag. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm trying to think which movie that was. Was it Nice Dreams? Maybe. I Is that the one where he's in an insane asylum? Cause yeah, yeah, right. Because Excuse me while well, Michael Winslow shows up as Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah, yeah they're and, in the insane asylum because fucking Dr. Timothy Leary uh, drugged the them. The real Timothy Leary. Yeah, that bad. I really okay, they're hated... going to be funny now. Okay. Ready? Yes. I don't know if it's I can't funny, take this anymore. This is very painful. All right. Maybe it wasn't funny, but I'm saying for the first time, they're really, I, I don't know, it's believable as opposed, they're in trouble with their boss because they're having a party. They're, so he's like, come on, boss. I didn't get a formal invitation. Did you get a formal? I didn't get a formal invitation. Nobody got a, please stay, you know. Well, now, I, I think please, it's funny that the funny boys get to play off the two stoner ladies. <laughs> like they're Look, up uh, and the sexy duo. girl who he was um, uh, nervous around. And here's a funny, funny, weird parallel. As you know, sorry, I'm just, oh, there's some sort of, everyone's got crack uh, right down the middle of, oh, oh, careful. Oh, yeah, careful. Watch your boob is, oh, it's, it's casting boob. a shadow, your boob. It's. Yeah, you know, I see side boob with these topless women. <laughs> You're blocking the light. Um, so anyway, the woman who comes on to him is was in Bachelor Party, the Tom Hanks film. Oh, yeah, which I've seen several times. So that's the one in which they're distracting. Remember the guy who, like, wants the Gina Davis, and so he's like, I'll give you my car. Remember that guy? Sure. He's doing some scene in which he's going to blow up the bachelor party and she goes make love to me and distract them do you remember that yeah of course that's her nice hey i have a question about bachelor party is our buddy bud the chud too in that movie uh i think he was in bachelor party too oh, uh, i could be wrong remember i did research that it was garrett of course yeah and um nigangagan or something yeah, that's a great question. I guess we were looking at the blob, which was like three weeks ago or something. I don't remember. He yeah, was that's right. In, Beware the blob. I think it was Bachelor Party 2 he was in. Now, Bachelor Party 2 is the one that was in the 90s? I don't know. I never saw it. I mean, it was obviously well, just they, like, let's make they made the like money. A, uh, they made a direct-to-video uh, sequel to Bachelor Party 20 years after, like 15 years after it came out. So. Let's see here. Hold on. Now I think we're having a ballad. Now that is not Marie. That is Cherry. Are you Cherry. sure? No, no. That's the thing. I'm not sure. Of course not. The internet says it is. Do I believe it? <laughs> it's as good. It's a nice ballad. Ballad well, out. It's, it, I don't know. From where she comes from, She's now doing sticks and Foreigner in Boston. You know what I mean? Like, she comes from such a hard rocking band, and she, she, now she's trying to be heart 
doing never <laughs> no never never yeah. run away is that how that song goes never no never no never 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 never, never run away I, what i'm trying to say is she's trying to be the pop music of that day right and that hairstyle and, Marie, that was great. I'm Sherry. Come on, Marie. Okay, here's the um, manager person. And listen now, she talks like a robot. You see how quirky she talks? Yes. Anyway, it's just like, we want to sign them. And then, of course, true to form of this movie, we never see anything about that again. Well, good. Oh, good. <laughs> now, look, you might like Colleen Camp. She was in two uh, Police Academy movies. Your I, favorite. I'm, I'm very familiar with Colleen Camp. I love Colleen Camp. I think she's great. I, was it she in Wayne's World? She was in Wayne's World. She was uh, uh uh, Brian Doyle Murray's wife, the one that you look at fine or whatever the line was. <laughs> I don't remember. I did see well, Wayne's you, World. So of do you remember Wayne's World? They had a sponsor. Rob Lowe got a sponsor and it was uh, Brian Doyle Murray's arcade. Yeah, something like that. I do remember. That was Wayne's World 2, I think. No, no. It was in the first Wayne's World. Oh, okay. okay. And so his wife was calling camp. Brian Doyle Murray. Gotcha. Now, she was also a wife in Police Academy Four Cities on Patrol. She was Mrs. Tackleberry. Oh, yeah, which is very memorable because they like the gunplay in her sex play. Now, do you remember in Apocalypse Now the Playboy Bunnies? Yeah, that was called Camp. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. When, like, Bob Hope came by. He's one of them. Oh, when Bob Hope came by. That is perfect. It was USO. Yeah. He was one of the playmates. Weren't like that, that scene in Apocalypse Now, like they're hopping on a helicopter, like they're crawling into a helicopter as it flies up? It's crazy. Well, yeah, the men went sex crazy and they stormed the stage. And so they tried to take off in the chopper. And yeah, they were basically crawling their way into it. With, and guys were hanging on. Do you remember there's that one guy who falls from the landing gear? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it must have hurt. Listen to that long, long ah. She has literally a golden microphone. In Buck Rogers from the 25th century dresses. <laughs> Again, they had to go into a time machine. Long story. She was in a lot of stuff that I don't remember her from, and I think it's because she got very heavy. Um, she was in Election in 1999. She was in American Hustle in 2013. I don't remember her. Wait, who calling camp again? Yeah. Oh, she's in. I mean, she. I saw her recently in something. I mean, she's older, so it's not like it takes a second. But. She's there. Okay, so now Tracy sees Elliot about to cheat. And he's really cheating. Well, uh, I no, he's not really cheating, but we're not there yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, nervous around her, and she's so super sexy, and it's like she's like, oh, I feel sick. Will you take me to your room? And you know what I mean? He's not resisting. It's like at the last second when he's actually offered it, he will resist. But, yeah. 
And this is our oh, working wait, hours. This is like a rocker. Hold on. Okay. This is Romeo, and we hear this twice in the in the whole thing. But this wasn't on our soundtrack album. The Rosebud. Beach, What's that? The original soundtrack to the Rosebud Beach Hotel didn't have that song. Yes, it is. The only one that doesn't appear is one called Steel, and that's on their their album. Are you sure but, I have the uh, cassette of it right here? Let me take a look. Okay. Yeah, good. you're right. No, it was in, it's missing. Romeo, Romeo. There she is, like bachelor party. Make love to me. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then the, the... I'm feeling much better now. <laughs> and then the face of the nun shows up on her face. My God. Yeah, 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 yeah. I. So, Carl, when I was a teenager, uh, I went to see Revenge of the Nerds, and this was in a, uh, a mall in New Jersey, and I forgot what small it was, but... Willowbrook. What it wasn't, it wasn't Willowbrook. It, let's say it this way. It was like a multiplex uh, uh-huh. off, of, off the parkway, and I, don't, I can't remember where it is, but you would, you would know what I'm talking about. But it was just like a okay. big... And we went to see Revenge of the Nerds, and it sold out. Oh, so, yes, it's Essex Green. Essex Green. Okay, it's sold out. So we went over to uh, Bachelor Party, but I, uh, you know, not being of age, was really nervous. And uh, <laughs> so we watched, I think we, uh, no, sorry, I sang at the Bachelor Party and I, 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 in the Claremont. I went to see it with a friend. Uh-huh. And I got really nervous and I left halfway through because I had to go home. And uh, then we went to see Revenge of the Nerds, and it sold out, so we snuck into the showing of Bachelor Party, and it was right at the scene where I left off. Oh, that's perfect. This yeah. is where I came in. It's the scene where the guy falls and his ass hits the, the sunroof. Remember the couples in the car? Yeah. Yeah. How can you forget a Bachelor Party? Especially if you were the couple. That was a night you, that you couldn't forget. Now, this is interesting about Colleen Campion. Like this, her first film ever, it's an uncredited role. She was Roddy McDowell's human slave in 1973's Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Wow. No shit. Battle. That's the, and, that's the fifth one. And we love Roddy from uh, this show. Oh, Roddy McDowell, yeah. Uh, uh, angel, 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 down, down we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> But there was another thing, though, Roddy was in. Because it was the second time I researched him. I just saw... Oh, yes, it was Charlie Chan. Oh, the, the 1981 version that we saw. Right. Yeah. The Dragon Queen. Right, right, right. Look how awkward Tracy dances. It's supposed to be funny. And it really could have been if they... Is she trying to, like, mack on guys in front of Peter? She's... No, she now thinks that Elliot's a cheater. Is that who you meant by Peter? She thinks Elliot's Peter. a cheater, and there, therefore she's getting crazy. But she really doesn't want to cheat because when this guy comes on to her, she's like, men are pigs! You know? Right. She's dancing. Meanwhile, Peter's in there. He's like, hey, you got a dual cassette player? That's so cool because then when one side rewinds, you can listen to music on the other one. I'm That's not, great. I didn't bring you up here to talk about my horrible boombox. Here's another Colleen Camp thing you'll like. She was in 1976's Gunball Rally. Oh, I do like that movie, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Stripes is our big movie, isn't it? Or, or uh, no, you must be thinking of Meatballs. Uh, you must be thinking of Doctor Jekyll and Mrs Hyde, girl, oh. woman. Oh, uh, Sean Young. Yeah, Sean Young. She was definitely in Stripes. Do you think Colleen Camp was the other one? Oh, I don't no. know. Uh, maybe it was. Uh, maybe it was Meatballs. Mm-hmm. I always thought she was. I the don't one. have that down here. Colleen Camp was in Last Action Hero. She was in My Blue oh. Heaven with Steve Martin. Can I mention, like, um, if, if you have the opportunity to watch uh, Wayne's World with the director's commentary, which I recommend because Penelope Sheridan yeah. is great. Uh, she loves Colleen Camp. Like, she's just high. Uh-huh. She doesn't say good things about Mike Myers, Michael Myers, which is which is terrific. But she she stops and and definitely compliments him, uh, Colleen Camp. Gotcha. Yeah, there she did it. She smacked his face and stormed off. She walks into the Wayne's World basement and like the cameraman goes like, hey, your wife's hot. And she gives kind of like a, oh, look, it's really funny. Uh-huh. Like she's thrown off guard by it. I guess I should put that in my Netflix queue and see it again. Why? Why? Yeah, go see. Wayne's yeah. Yeah, get the World. DVD and watch, and watch it with the director's cut. You've seen the movie a hundred times. So it's not like. Okay, director's cut. I haven't. You have. I've definitely seen it once. Okay. But, you know, I thought Rob Lowe was in the second Wayne's World. How many times have you seen the second Wayne's World? None. Maybe once. Yes, once. I got free tickets to go see that in the theater. So there we had Fran Drescher next to Eddie Deason. Yeah, we talked over that. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Now she sees her boyfriend. Now, of course, Matches is up to the same old antics. He's going to blow up this hotel. Doesn't learn, does he? You cha cha. Oh, here they are. They're in the bunker party. Colleen a- Camp was married to the executive of Paramount Studios. They have a child together. It was a big deal on that interview I saw with her. Oh yeah. I guess they're no longer uh, together. No, they're not together, but they have a child together, so they're together for life. Right. And she was in Clue. Uh, she was in Smokey and the Bandit Part 3. Oh, yeah. She's, she's got a career. Hey, Missy, you forgot your bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Listen, I said... Hey! Eddie Deason... I'm so used to watching bombs with Eddie Deason. This is the first time I've seen Eddie Deason with a bomb. <laughs> no, he, Eddie Deason thinks this guy is from his planet and trying to uh, Take him uh, destroy him or something. Oh, man, this is how bombs work. You throw it up in the air and it blows up. Uh-oh. And matches once again is, you know, watch, watch this comedic point. They didn't payoff they can't afford to show you the the payoff there's no money <laughs> shots because there's no money so now tracy has had enough ellie doesn't even pay attention to him now he's sleeping with other women i am out of here. i am out of here check please i'm, I'm here to check out so now Fran says, you're my best friend in the world. Don't leave. Which, again, wasn't set up. 
Were they best friends? I thought they were just prostitutes. I mean, right. like Gibson. Uh... Yeah. Now watch this. Friendship? I thought it was a pimp uh, trick relationship. <laughs> so Christopher Lee, our big villain, right? I found out something so strange. I mean, he recorded opera and did other musical pieces. He was a singer. But he became involved with metal, heavy metal. Oh, I did not know this. He made a metal album, album called Charlemagne by the Sword and the Cross. In 2010, he worked with several metal bands since 2005. Wow. <laughs> he had a follow-up called Charlemagne, the Owen, Omens of Death. <laughs> My God, he and, must have had so much fuck you money from like Lord of the Rings <laughs> and Star Wars. He's yeah. like, fuck you. I'll do some death metal. On his 91st birthday, he was honored, honored with the Spirit of Metal Award in t by the 2010 Hammer of the Golden Gods Award Ceremony. <laughs> and listen, he deserved that so much. Oh, there you look. Now, Fran has been sworn to secrecy. And so she's like saying, you know what you did. It's kind of funny. Let's hear it. All right. Could have been so funny, right? You know what? With you know who he goes, what, who, where? It just, I don't know. No, it's good. They're good. They're both great. He's great, Peter Solari. He was, uh, you know what? Tom Hanks, when he directs movies, he puts them in it. So uh, the thing that you do, and I think Larry Crown. Remember that movie, Larry mm -hmm. Crown? No. Was it? It was like the name of Tom Hanks' character. He goes to night school mm -hmm. and he meets Julia Roberts, and the movie was like. Larry Crown, like as if you were gonna oh, be like, let me see what movies. Well, yeah, I think so, but it's just like movie phone. Tell me what movies are playing. Today's Larry Crown. Oh, I always wanted to see a movie about Larry Crown. I'll go. <laughs> oh, look There's at me, another right one. It was, uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, there's a bunch of things named after people, and it's just like, oh, my God, this is going to be self-indulgent. Well, sometimes it works, and sometimes it's just it's just doesn't doesn't click at all. You know what I mean? Yes. So now this is pre-9-11 by a lot, and you could just walk right up to the gate. And so he does. And I think says, you, could, you could still do that in the Miami International Airport. Oh. Okay. Yeah, just walk right in. I am not going to let you board. I like how there's this guy there. Yeah, and they missed the comedic point with that, I'm telling you. Well, a good comedy scene should have somebody in the scene watching it because that way, I, as an audience, you can relate to that person and it grounds it. And whatever chaotic thing, they, silly thing they do, it's funny because it's in real life. To the point right. where people are even watching it, which you can relate to if you ever watched it. So it's right to have them in there. Maybe I wouldn't have them like play ping pong and stare at them so much. And maybe have another person there, but now he's got to say something. Yep. No, he didn't say anything. But he doesn't. He doesn't say something. They, but you're right. That's exactly the comedic point that they didn't. I learned that from Penelope Shears. Like the way she makes movies. 
Didn't George Clooney also do a thing where he was – it was a person's name. He was like the lawyer, not the funny Michael one. Clayton. Michael Clayton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and there's Mary Riley. I really loved that film when the crazy one was talking to the, George Clooney's son, and they were relating – you know what I mean? Like he was. I have. To, I have. Honestly, I have to see that movie. I know it's a really good film, and I just never seen it. Okay. Uh-oh, Rambo it versus really Matches. It is a film, and you should see it. All right, I'll, I'm putting that on my list. Rambo saw uh, Matches, but his gun didn't. You know, it misfired or it didn't. So he's all pissed off at the gun. And there's the bomb. He's sitting there off. waiting. He, sh- he shot a gun in the basement and didn't go off. Damn it. Oh, uh, they're back together. They are totally back together, and they're going to get married. And they're fucking in their own hotel room. You should never mix business that... with pleasure. <laughs> so they called the father to say, it's going great, and people are coming to see the place tomorrow. And he's like, wait a minute. I'm going to blow that place up tomorrow, and now I find out that my daughter's there. Because the daughter went to help Elliot sort of like as a secret right so now he knows that his daughter's in danger his hotel sale is in danger and matches it's on you know it's too late to stop him so he goes down there in person and we get to our wrap-up by the way the time is deceptive on this on this uh mason skinner well right now we're we're approaching an hour and 10 minutes it ends in 10 minutes and then there's it starts to play again i don't know why oh that's good that's hey that's fine by me my friend <laughs> 10 less minutes of the new road i keep saying news new rosebud beach hotel the new rosebud beach hotel right it's just the rosebud no but, there, there's a movie called the new rose hotel it's like a cyberpunk oh, 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 oh. Uh, able for our movie matches is dead Matches his dick because someone blew bazooka to his fucking. Uh... Not someone. It's our boiler room janitor. Thank Rambo. God he. Thank God he didn't miss. Now listen, if you come down to the boiler room in Garfield, New Jersey, on Tuesday nights, you will not bump into Rambo. He is serving prison time for killing matches. So who's in the lineup this Tuesday at the boiler room in Garfield? Is it the Funny Boys? Whoever signs up, whoever signs up, and I hope you, Seth, my co-host, who's threatening to quit. Oh my god! I don't. I don't need. Listen, there's enough petty bullshit in San Francisco comedy. I don't need to hear the Garfield <laughs> scene. Well, you're right that it's bullshit, and you're right that it's petty. But you, San Francisco's. Just I said not I don't unique. want to hear it. Anywhere you have humans, you're going to have petty bullshit. Oh yeah, it's true. Why now would look, you do it? Jennifer at the bar says she'll pay you, Seth. Oh no, that's not enough for him. Look at those! Like I love this the silk uh, the satin uh, bedspread that it fucking Chris really yeah. has. I'll do a House separate squandered. scene. If every I... scene he's on the phone, it's squandered. This guy, no. he's the most evil Listen, villain. I swear to God, he they did one scene in, in that fucking hallway by the the staircase, and then they yep. said, "We need to." Uh, uh, if you need another shot from me, then I need to be in bed with silk sheets. <laughs> That's part of my turn-ons include satin sheets, peeing in the yeah, park, right. and German snoodles. <laughs> Strudel. Strudel. This guy is huge. He was in six big Bur- big Tim Burton films. 
He yeah, was Chris... in Police Academy. Yes, I know. Christopher Lee's done it all. It's fucking amazing. He was Count Dooku, you mentioned. He was Star... He... Saruman, Saruman. Yeah, so I am correct. He was in the Lord of the Rings. Yes, and the Hobbit. Yeah. Which which Hobbits? All three Hobbits? This guy's a cash uh, machine. My yes, it says the Hobbit film trilogy, 2012 to 2014. So yes, and one other cool thing, which I forgot, he was the man with the golden gun. Right in that movie, whose name I forgot. James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, that's the name of it. <laughs> 1974. So I always thought like Sam Jackson made the most money, but this guy made, hopefully made a chunk of chain for appearing in like the biggest money makers of all time. I think towards the end of his life he did. I think playing Dracula was not paying the bills. I think even the James Bond was just a nice payday. Right. Being in films like Airport 77... Return well, to Witch Mountain. These yes, which I remember him in that. I remember him in Return to Witch, Return from yeah. Witch Mountain. So he it couldn't have added up, but to be in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, that yeah, paid. That's fucking sure. cash. Jeez, that's some Christopher Lee time right there. That's where <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't think so. I think I'm going to go join a death metal band. Right, that's weird. And he went from opera to metal. Well, I mean, look at this. They're rocking out on the beach. Beach rocking. Yeah, that's in. right. They've got like a little uh, stage. Now, Sherry and Michelle think this is their chance. They think this film, not that it's going to launch them. They're launched. They have a record. But they think they're going to be huge. And I feel bad for Sherry because she could have been. She's pretty. She's doing all the 80s rock you know, ballads. And but maybe, she works, maybe she's still to. working in something. I mean... I don't know her story. I don't know what she did. Oh, pot smoking okay, lady. So smoking pot right there. An, I listened to... That's the pot ladies, and this is their last scene. Basically, what Count Dooku said is, get everybody out of the hotel, you know, and I'll come down there personally to work the real estate deal. So here's the real estate people, or the hotel people. Wait a minute, there's Jewish guys in Miami? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, there's Jewish guys everywhere, right? Yeah. No, it's okay, Carl. You, I mean, can, you can agree with me. Uh, you know, one place I found did not have Jewish guys. Um, I was in Israel. I was at the Wailing Wall, and I learned that in the domed uh, mosque, they don't allow Jewish people. Huh. All right. You can, you can go to Israel right now and walk into a place that, does, that has no Jews. Of course, you have to be Muslim. You know, uh, I was at a country club, and uh, I asked, do you serve orange juice? And they said, what a stupid question. You were at a country club. Do you serve orange juice? And they said, what a stupid question. Right. Do you know the original? I don't get The original joke is, uh, do you serve orange juice? And they said, yes, sir, we serve everyone. (laughs) Orange juice? Orange juice, purple juice. We serve everyone. (laughs) That is good. Oh, good. Terrific. I'll have a Manischewitz. <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald now, used to advertise for Manischewitz. Do you remember that? They would have these jazz greats thinking about yeah. Manischewitz wine. Okay, so Count Dooku shows up. Here he says, oh, Saruman, great. He's like, is everybody out of the building? That's going to explode. What, out of the so, building? Yeah. It looks like they shot outside a fucking high school. No, it's still 2 o'clock. They haven't left school yet. 
So now they're going, he's going down to the beach. Now, Rambo says, all clear. And Peter says, I'll take one last look and set up Act 3. Now, Fran never finds out that Matches is dead, and it doesn't wrap up. How can you say Act 3 and then this movie is ending in eight minutes? I shouldn't have said set up Act 3, but what can I say? That's their writing. The peril. In Act 3, you have a picking time bomb or a race or a challenge, you know. And in this one, it's the peril that he's going to get blown up. So Saruman finds out, so he goes to save Peter. Now, Carl, you know I have a big beef about movies shot in Florida, that I always feel like the exterior shots are weird because of the way the wind blows. But these are really cool shots on the beach. Wait till you see the money they spent to do the next scene. Wait till you see. Are we talking like twenty dollars, thirty dollars? At least. I'm now you saw those things version. that said dangerous, and they. Oh brought, my god! Look, look at the money they spent. Jesus, they just blew up the hotel. The Rosebud Beach Hotel is no more. You did. now they again squander, right? He goes, "Oh no, Elliot, my father!" And she runs to find them. Now, what we should have seen is the father saying, "Elliot." You know, you got to. Why do you want to save me? You hate me, and having them have a moment. But no, they're just saved. Oh, I got you. Right now, I agree. Oh, I would have liked to see someone yell, "My Walkman!" <laughs> when it, it is 1984. Yeah. And those, so they, now he's like, being all night. Who, Dooku? Yeah. So he says, the insurance money will finance any business venture you want to get into. And he goes, I don't have, it's they squander it. He doesn't say like, I've lost a hotel, but I've gained a son. He goes, no, I've gained a business partner. Aww. It's terrible. Oh, wait, finally, okay, epilogue to plan Zorak. Yeah, that's right. This is Eddie's payoff. He really was an alien. It looks like they're at the Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, no, no, they're not. Remember, like, the, the, the interdimensional chess players? They're, they're in, like... Yeah. Yeah. Now they smoke some playing. astral weed. Yeah. They're getting high. And they're speaking a language, like, it's a fake one. Okay, now this is the home movie. Oh, you get to see the funny boys in, in, in the wild. They got drinks and doing finger uh, gun snaps at everyone. Hello, ladies. Now, they were the bellboys, so when the prostitute bellboys came along, what happened to them? They hit on they Oh, customer is Bud Freeman. So, yeah, it was probably... Huh. I guess it might well, have been a Fran Drescher one. I don't know. I think it might have been the guy at the clerk uh, went to check in. I probably didn't even have a line. God, do you guys remember there this movie? Are. Here's some scenes from it. Remember that movie you just saw? Yeah, let's watch it again. Hello, Dad. Hello, Moms. Oh, Mom. We're twins. We're cherry bombs. Yeah, that's right. Uh That's right. They could say hello, Mom and Dad together. Yeah. And it would be true. It would still be true. Hello, world. Yeah. Cherry bomb. You know, like when I saw The Runaways, I was like, that song is great. 
Uh-huh. So I went to YouTube. It's not great. Oh, that's a great song. I don't know how Christian uh, Stewart does it, but uh, in the movie. But the thing is, Mike, with your, like, uh, I'm 50-whatever, uh, you know, you're, oh. con- you're uh, you know, I don't know what the word is because it's not conservative, but you're so stodgy. I would think that stodgy. you would hate a- Yeah, yeah, you're like... Uh, I, excuse oh, me. The- this one's a perv and that one is... Oh, you're always going, oh, my God, it's so inappropriate. I can't think of any of that for the cherry. Uh. <laughs> so Cherry Bomb is saying, hey, look, you think I'm a nice girl. I'm a, you know. And so is this Peter Solari right here who walks into the juggling? Because that is some yeah, pretty clever stuff. Yeah, and they should have done it, like, so great. Wait a minute. They Did you see the credit? I'm sorry. It just said the Shangri-La Hotel in Los Angeles, California. This was shot in Miami. I don't know why it said that yeah uh hold on i have here's uh, the music credits uh, where is it it's shot in miami florida but there also is los angeles shooting which was all um interiors it's not in front of me and i don't know why i did write it down it's probably wanted to tell you the exact studio but nope i don't have miami. it miami We've got stuff for you. I'm having a meltdown, a meltdown. I don't like part, no part. Don't like no part. <laughs> I'm singing this now. Um, baby, there's baby. a bunch of songs here that were just in the background. Oh, and, like the scratch by the IBMs. But, but Cherry and uh, you know, sh- her songs were the real song. There are the or Michelle and Cherry's songs were the real songs for Sherry. Sherry. I saw this inter. I listened to this podcast interview with Michelle, trying to have her talk about her sister, and I don't know. It's just all spiritual, and she, I don't know. <laughs> okay, it's over now. Yeah. For some reason, this publisher has. We're back in the middle of the film again. I don't know why. What did you think, Mike? What did I think? Uh... <laughs> It had a lot. It's an interesting movie because it's Fran Dresser is really funny in it, and Colleen Camp is funny in it. Peter Solari holds up. So you have like some good comedy. You have a lot of topless scenes, and you have uh, vintage 80s Miami and Los Angeles. And Bud and yeah. Bud Freeman shows up, which is really strange. I thought this was a piece of shit movie. <laughs> but uh, it's good for your show for all those things that you said. You yeah, know? I mean, I'm and happy. Christopher I'm Lee happy. and Eddie yeah. I'm very happy I saw it. Let me put it that way. Like, it was not a waste of time for me, that film. So since you asked, uh, I would recommend the Rosebud Beach Hotel. And, but be prepared for a shocking ending. It's, you'll <laughs> never expect it. Hi, I'm Michelle. I'm Sherry. I is the guy in Ferris Bueller. I'm a no-name. <laughs> I got to I gotta watch Ferris Bueller again. God damn it. I don't want to do that again. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been... Uh, Carl, what did you think of this movie? I'm not going to end without asking you. Well, just like you said, I think, or maybe I inferred from what you said, I think that this film was very good for your show. <laughs> it had lots to talk about. Lots right. to talk about. Yeah, but I think it was poorly written and poorly directed. I think that it there was so much comedic. This could have been a hilarious film, absolutely, from sword fights all the way down to the explosion at the end. Would Tackleberry? 
came out of the water dressed as Rambo at the end of Police Academy 2, that should have been the end and be all of Rambo parodies and movies. But they don't listen. Now, if you're still watching, now we've rewound all the way to the beginning again for some reason. Oh, I saw. I hit pause on this. Good, good. Mark, well, I'm hitting pause now, too. Well, ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen, this has been our show. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube. We originally premiered uh, this episode during an episode of our friend Paul Brumba. Let's get ready to Brumba, The Edge of Insanity. We would love for you to check out both shows. We stream live on mutinyradio.fm every Sunday starting at noon Pacific Standard Time. And uh, that's when Paul's show goes on. And then let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube if you enjoy it. You can listen to us live at 2 o'clock, or you can follow our podcast by our acronym, Get Out of Pencil, we'll wait, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. And we'll be here uh, next Sunday. So we want to thank you for being uh, still listening to our show, and we want to thank Paul Brumbaugh's uh, audience for letting us uh, do our show on his time slot, and thank you, Paul, for that. And he'll be back next week. And uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast on LWLFM, we'll be back next week as well with a new movie. Carl, thank you so much. Carl, nothing thank works you. in the studio. Can you play us out? And then yeah, we'll just go yeah. randomly uh, into the feed. Let's watch Paul, The Edge of Insanity with Paul Brumba on MutinyRadio.fm. LWFLMOYT. L-W-A-F-M-L-O-Y-T movie on uh, All right, thank you, Carl. The Edge of Insanity. Bye, Phil Spiegelman. Thanks, Carl. Bye. That's a, Bye. A cultural reference that exists in the cultural zeitgeist of America, but it's like kind of from a commercial before all of us were born.
All right, and welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today, it's Tuesday, October 8th. Yes, it's Tuesday. This will be played also on a Friday, October 11th. Due to some scheduling conflicts and things that have come up, I am recording this a few days early, and it just so happens that it's, there's a big, today's like the big day at the Supreme Court, because uh, the introductions to the show also talked a little bit about that. You can also, if you follow me on Twitter, I have retweeted a lot. The most recent piece we played was a senior staff attorney, Gabriel Arkels uh, from ACLU, and if you follow at ACLU on Twitter, you can hear Gabriel's words and hear more from them. And then also, the previous, there's lots of folks who came to the Supreme Court to protest, and so that's what we heard before then, and this was shared by Jason L. Walker, who you can follow on Twitter, at Lamar Walks 11 And there's a lot more footage out there, and also I'm going to get to an article right away it's uh it's things are pretty fucking scary things have been scary for a while oh by the way hi it's a radio program that's not very funny sometimes it is today probably not i'm feeling exhausted in many ways and i also think it's crucial just to share what's happening in the world as sad as it may be it's also interesting to go back and listen to previous episodes and hear how things have kind of led up to where we are now and to have an understanding of it. 
So this article was published today by Jessica Mason Piclo, and it came out on Rewire News. And I'm going to get the microphone all ready here. And you can find this at rewire.news. Uh, after two hours of arguments, five votes could decide the future of LGBTQ rights. What a, what a timeline to be living in, everybody. The conservative wing of the Roberts court appears ready to take a sledgehammer to LGBTQ rights, assuming they can keep Justice Neil Gorsuch on board. The U.S. Supreme Court's 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hodges represented a significant but potentially fleeting shift in LGBTQ rights. Led by conservative justice Anthony Kennedy, Obergefell recognized the indignity LGBTQ people experience when the law treats them differently simply for who they are. Despite being a fundamentally conservative opinion grounded in traditional notions of partnership and family, Obergefell was revolutionary for its jurisprudential embrace of the humanity of LGBTQ people. The legal landscape looks very different for LGBTQ rights four years later. The Trump administration has taken a sledgehammer to the slow and steady progress made during the Obama administration of recognizing the promise of Obergefell and my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. I feel like I am. And recognizing LGBTQ rights. And on Tuesday, during oral arguments for the three cases that ask whether federal employment discrimination law protects LGBTQ employees, the conservative wing of the Roberts Court appeared ready to do the same, assuming they can keep Justice Neil Gorsuch on board. The first two cases on the Roberts Court's docket revolved around the question of whether prohibitions on discrimination on the basis of sex under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 include discrimination on the basis of a person's sexual orientation. The cases were combined under Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. In Bostock, the plaintiff alleges he was fired from his job as a child welfare services coordinator for a Georgia County's juvenile court system after his employer found out he's gay. In May 2018, a three-judge panel from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit ruled in an unpublished per curiam decision that Bostock couldn't sue his employer because the Title VII doesn't ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. Bostock wants the Supreme Court to reverse the 11th Circuit's decision, which his attorneys argue is wrong and in conflict with the majority of recent federal court decisions that do recognize sexual orientation discrimination under Title VII. The third case before the court seeks to answer whether Title VII applies to, claim, to claims of discrimination based on gender identity and transgender status in RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, Inc. versus Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on behalf of Amy Stevens, a Michigan funeral director who was fired once, once she began transitioning at work. The Roberts Court had previously avoided answering the question of whether discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is discrimination because of sex under Title VII, but during the arguments Tuesday showed no such reluctance. This despite the fact that the Roberts Court announced last week it was going to try something new this term. Counsel before the court now get to make their arguments uninterrupted for approximately two minutes before the justices jump in with their questions. That means that Stanford law professor and attorney Pamela 
Carlin, who argued on behalf of the employees in their cases, had the opportunity to clearly set forth why firing a man who dates a man is discrimination because of sex. It's a startling difference to hear the attorneys be able to frame their case before the court without immediate interruption. Whether it changes the outcome remains to be seen. But Carlin did her best to stay focused on the argument that sexual orientation discrimination is by its nature discrimination because of sex. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the first question for Carlin and asked about the original public understanding of sex discrimination when Title VII first passed. What role, if any, should that original understanding play in how the justices resolve the dispute before them? Ginsing, uh, excuse me, Ginsburg pressed, none, Carlin answered. Just look at the words of the statute. Carlin insisted, when Title VII passed in 1964, it was the days of madmen, she said, where sexual harassment, now a commonly understood form of sex discrimination under Title VII, was not recognized. Ginsburg's question was pointed for a reason. The heart of the dispute of these cases is a textual dispute, a fight over the meaning of the text because of sex in the statute. Conservatives, including Solicitor General Noel Francisco, who argued in defense of the employer's in these cases, insist the text of the statute doesn't support finding that sexual orientation or gender identity claims are covered in part because of the original public understanding of the harm Congress was trying to remedy when it first passed Title VII. That original public meaning of Title VII, Francisco and the other conservative attorneys representing the employers did, they employees said, only prohibits employers from treating one sex better or worse than the other. Nothing more, nothing less. It's a deceptively simple argument that has dangerous consequences. As federal courts recognized sexual orientation discrimination over the years, they did so by building on the idea that sex stereotyping can be a form of sex discrimination covered under Title VII. The court reaffirmed that principle in the 1998 case, Onical versus Sundowner Offshore Services, authored by Justice Antonin Scalia. In Oncal, a male employee said he was forcibly subjected to sex-related humiliating actions by his male co-workers, including assault and rape threats, for not being macho enough. Ankel is a case study in same-sex harassment. In finding that Title VII covered instances of same-sex harassment, despite the text of Title VII being arguable, being arguable silent on the topic, Justice Scalia wrote, Statutory prohibitions often go beyond the principal evil to cover reasonably comparable evils, which is ultimately the provisions of our laws rather than the principal concerns of our legislators, legislators by which we are governed. In other words, according to Justice Scalia uh, in Uncal, Un Title VII demands courts go beyond the original public the public understanding of the law to cover these those reasonably comparable evils of sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination. According to Scalia and the majority in Uncal, it doesn't matter what the exact words of Title VII say or even what the lawmakers at the time thought they were covering. What matters is that the language of Title VII itself is expansive enough to contemplate social change. And Title VII does this by recognizing that firing an employee because of their failure to conform to stereotypical notions of sex, whether because of sexual orientation or gender identity, are by their definition sex discrimination. Congress doesn't need to speak now on that question. They did so in 1964 by passing Title VII. 
it is analytically impossible to fire an employee based on that employee's status as a transgender person without being motivated, at least in part, by the employee's sex. The Sixth Circuit states in Harris, discrimination because of sex inherently includes discrimination against employees because of a change in their sex. On Tuesday, Solicitor General Francisco took the opposite view and argued that the only way to make Title VII cover gender identity and sexual orientation discrimination is for Congress to amend the law to explicitly say that it does. That's an argument that Justices Samuel Alito and Chief Justice Roberts latched onto immediately. Roberts noted that the states that had passed their own version of Title VII had explicitly stated protections for sexual orientation, discrimination, as well as... um, excuse me, had explicitly stated protections for sexual orientation discrimination as well as exemptions in place for religious objectors. Justice Alito even took the end of Carlin's time not to let her answer a question, but to accuse the employees of trying to change the meaning of Title VII outright. If Justice Roberts is true to precedent, then next summer the court will rule that Title VII covers both sexual orientation and discrimination excuse me, that covers both sexual orientation discrimination and gender identity discrimination, and Roberts will join the majority in doing so. There is no other conclusion that remains both true to the text, to the statute, and the cases that followed. But Roberts is a conservative ideologue and not a scholar of precedent. He also laid the groundwork for reading sexual orientation and gender discrimination protections out of Title VII in Obergefell. Reading his dissent now from the bench Roberts was clearly angry about the outcome of the case. He accused the majority of acting out of political motivation, not legal reasoning, and suggested that those celebrating the decision were doing so simply because their side had won. This court is not a legislature, Roberts wrote in his dissent in Obergefell. The majority's decision is an act of will, not legal judgment. Conservatives picked up Roberts' mantra of the court, and I'm going to take a self-care moment, as I sometimes do, uh, on the show, I'm going to stop from reading the rest of this article. Um, I appreciate the coverage of it. You also can check it out at Rewire News, uh, rewire.news. And um, yeah, that's a lot. It's it's a hell of a lot. And also doing the show midweek feels like a lot. So we will see what happens. And perhaps by the time this is played again on Friday, we'll have some more news for you. Now, oftentimes I start the show with a lot of music and then a rant, and I'm feeling too exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. I'm psychically exhausted. I am just, ugh. (sighs) So then why am I here? Well, I'd rather be here than not here, if that makes sense. I'd rather share some news and always interested in learning more, sharing more, and perhaps all the listeners out there, if there's one piece of information or hope or something that you gain from listening to this week's episode. Uh, hopefully that this will have... Uh, I'll have done my part. Wow, I'm tired. Okay, it is not even that late. I'm going to play some more music, and I actually was going to start playing the show with this music, and then I had a Peter Gabriel song on. I'm like, oh, that's a good song. I'll just leave that on. So next up, I've uh, been going through the record collection here at Mutiny Radio, and records are great, so I've been trying to play some of these on the air. Here's one. It's a record from Joan Jett called The Hit List, and it looks like it's some uh, cover songs. So we're going to play some Joan Jett. Hopefully I'll get in a better mood after I hear some really good music, and then 
afterwards, we've got some more news for everybody, so please do stay tuned.
And welcome back to Weekly Review. It's Roman. I'm still pretty tired. Uh, I'm a little bit more excited, I guess, because I listened to the first Joan Jett song. Now I'm kind of like, eh. I'm tired. And I'm here. The show is very DIY, and I appreciate that. Sometimes it's good just to be true. And I wanted to share a resource for folks, Trans Lifeline, which is a great resource. Uh, I want to encourage folks to donate to and also share info about if you know folks who need someone to talk to. It's a hotline that is was created by and is run by and operated by trans folks for trans folks. And we've had the founders on the show a couple years ago, Greta and Nina, and wanted to just plug that organization once more you can also follow them on twitter at trans lifeline and they tweeted today the supreme court is hearing a pivotal case on trans rights this morning we know that news like this is negatively impacts the mental health of trans people okay that explains why i've been feeling extra crappy uh if you are trans or questioning and need to talk we're here for you at 877-565-8860 in the u.s or 877 877- three three zero six three six six in canada so again you can follow trans lifeline at trans lifeline please do donate um to them if you're able and spread the word also follow them on twitter um i believe it's a weird segue but i'm going into the next thing we do have the pissed off voters guide for november 5th from the san francisco league of pissed off voters agree with a lot of the information that they share and i'm someone who recognizing that voting can only do so much and at the same time it's easier to organize when you don't have fascists in office hopefully all we can all agree on that so they have a few voting logistics to share with people and september nope not september october this is this is one show for the books i'll tell you so that was yesterday uh, early voting started at City Hall, and it's happening from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. If you're someone who votes and you are unable to go on Election Day and or you don't want to mail something in, stop by City Hall. Uh, be prepared to go through the metal detectors because that's just something that happens there. All right. And on October 21st, it's the deadline to register to vote if that's something that you want to do. October 26th and 27th and November 2nd and 3rd, it's the weekend early voting in City Hall from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. Oh, the weekend, right. And then November 2nd to the 5th, it's early voting, which starts at SFSU Towers Conference Center. And there's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekends, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on weekdays. On November 5th, it's election day. Polls open 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you're in line by 8, you can vote. Where's your polling place? Why am I yelling? I'm not meaning to yell. I'm call 311-csfelections.org or just go to City Hall. Where's Okay, I already answered that question. Non non-citizens can vote on Board of Education. Parents and caregivers of school-aged children can vote for school board candidates. Former felons can vote. Even if you've committed a felony, you can vote as long as you're off parole. Don't let the man disenfranchise you. Again, this is from the Pissed Off Voter's Guide. Next up, slackers can vote. Election Day voter registration. Miss the 1021 deadline to register to vote? Head directly to City Hall. Do not pass go to register and vote right up through Election Day. From November 2nd to 5th, you can also register and vote at SFSU Towers Conference Center. 
Now get out there and make us proud. Next up, youth can vote. If you're 16 or 17, pre-register and your registration will be activated automatically when you turn 18. Next up, local offices. For mayor, no endorsement. Board of Supervisors, District 5, Dean Preston. And again, plugging Dean Preston, I read an interview in the Bay Area Reporter, and he mentioned that he was all in favor of free muni. So that pretty much, he's definitely the more progressive candidate between him and uh, Valley Brown. So yes, Dean Preston for District 5. City Attorney, Dennis Herrera. District Attorney, Chesa Bowden. And we had Chesa on the show a couple weeks ago. We'll, we'll be replaying that interview a little bit closer to November 5th. So again, for District Attorney, vote for Chesa Bodin. Public Defender, Manahar Raju. Sheriff, no endorsement. Treasurer, no endorsement. Board of Education, no endorsement. Community College Board, Ivy Lee. Local propositions. They say yes on Prop A, which is a $600 million affordable housing bond. Yes on Prop B, representation for disabled and aging adults. Hell fucking no, Prop C. Uh, let Jewel write vape law for the children. So that was, yeah, no on Prop C. Yes on Prop D, teeny tiny traffic tax on Lyft and Uber. Yes on Prop E, finally, affordable housing for education and, excuse me, for educators and families. And yes, Prop F, sunlight on dark money. Okay, open up and a must, yeah, okay. Open up this guide for highlights on the most important things on the ballot and check out our online guide for the full Monty. And you can do that at http colon forward slash forward slash the league sf dot o-r-g. Now I'm starting to have some fun. I'm opening it up. There's a lot of stuff there and you can check it out. And also this has been paid for by the San Francisco League of Pissed Off Voters. Financial disclosures available at sfethics.org. Groovy. What's up next? Okay, so Ellen DeGeneres, who I was in high school when she came out and it was like a big deal. And I remember writing her a letter being like, thanks for coming out. That's great for high school gay kids like me. And then cut to decades later, and I mean, beyond decades later, but you know, when sometimes folks make it, they end up leaving a lot of people behind. So recently she was photographed at a Dallas Cowboys game, which is gross enough as is. And uh, to not only be like not boycotting the NFL, but to then be going to Dallas Cowboys game. Anyway, she ended up sitting next to George W. Bush and then her photo was taken. And then she like tried to defend herself being like, oh, it's okay to be friends with people who have different views. And everyone's like, he's a fucking war criminal. That's not just like, you know, enjoying different types of food or having different types of, you know, favorite colors or different personality traits. It's like, no, this person's uh, actions are responsible for the deaths of millions of people and creating policy that has harmed who knows how many folks. So uh, maybe not be friends with, with him. Maybe that's, is that asking too much? Apparently it is. And that's how that everything gets normalized in this country. When you want to know how we end up with a fuck face like 45 in office, just look at the previous fuck faces in office. Look at the previous war criminals, Democrats and Republicans alike, who have caused a lot of harm to people. And as long as they get away with their crimes, then people are going to continue committing these crimes and continue getting people into these horrible wars, which of course, poor folks end up paying for more than anyone else. Oh, wow. I am talk myself into a depression again. Ooh. 
All right, next up, I'm not gonna read that headline because yikes. Okay, <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Um, along with all this Ellen and, and W nonsense, there's an article that was shared once more and it came out in March of this year from splinternews.com written by Hamilton Nolan. Perhaps I've read it before on the show and perhaps I'll be reading it again or maybe it's the first time. Excuse me. Of course successful people want everyone to be nice by Hamilton Nolan, March 5th, 2019. Why do wealthy celebrities always decry haters above all other evils? Why do successful people at the top of their fields counsel those less prestigious than them to value professional comedy and civility above all? For a very obvious reason. It is easy to feel love for humanity when your own life is grand. If you wake up in a soft bed and a nice home, have a good job and a healthy bank account, and enjoy the prestige, earned or unearned, accorded to those in high positions, you have little reasons to be mad. All of the things that people want, you have. You have physical, emotional, and economic security. You have the adulation of peers and admirers. You have the opportunity to fully realize your dreams. Life is good. It is interesting to see how attitudes change for the small minority of humans able to attain these high-status lifestyles. Clearly, they are viewing life from a different perspective than most. Whereas the average person is forced to spend a good deal of time contemplating problems from mundane to existential that in some way affect their lives and how to solve them, the people at the top of the world are under no such obligation. Their vision, their vision need not be clouded by such concerns. Their needs are met. They are free to direct their mental energy towards achieving ever higher levels of self-realization. Though they may recognize the world's problems in an abstract way, they are not true obstacles for them. There is nothing easier than embracing love as a value when you have nothing left to hate. There is nothing easier than embracing freedom when nothing is holding you back. To say, we should all be kind to one another and get along when you are sitting at the very top of the pyramid is not an embrace of magnanimity. Excuse me. Magnanimity. It is an embrace of of self-interest once you have what you need once you have what everyone else wants declaring the cutthroat race for achievement over in favor of universal love will conveniently ensure that your gains remain locked in now that i'm enjoying the benefits of fame let's stop all the haters now that i'm enjoying the benefits of wealth let's stop all the jealousy now that i'm enjoying the benefits of high career status let's stop being critical of those at the top Let's all get along, everyone equally, from me at the very top to you at the very bottom. This is the root of the tedious cries for civility that periodically rack our body politic. Of course, those who have won in the current order of things value civility above all. Civility means nothing changes. Civility means anger is tamped down. To the extent that the incredible lives of society's winners are driven by structural injustices, racism, inequality, luck, being born in the right place at the right time to win the lottery of life, civility will cool the tempers of those who are on the wrong side of the same metrics. In a just world, the most successful people would be the most outraged at injustice. Oh, wow, that would be like me or something. <laughs> because they would be able to see most clearly the absurd gap between their own lives and the lives of millions of others who have had the same intrinsic value as humans, but who are not so lucky. 
but such a world would require that people who achieve the greatest luxuries act against their own self-interest and recognition that life is not fair. That unfortunately is not how the human mind tends to work. It is more common that our own lives change, our perspectives change, and it becomes increasingly harder to imagine the perspective of others whose experiences grow farther and farther away until they might as well be inexplicable dreams. There is nothing like the sweet taste of the good life to convince us that everyone deserves the good life as long as it does not require us to sacrifice what we already have. This dynamic explains, for example, the fascination of very rich people with charter schools as a cause rather than with redistribution of wealth. To promote education is to promote the fantasy that all those poor people can one day get the same things that you have. This allows you to maintain your own status while offering the dream of pulling everyone else up to you. The alternative would be for you to give up some of what you have in order to help others. Unfortunately, that would require a meaningful sacrifice from you, so the idea is socialist, outrageous class war. The same dynamic is behind the fetishization of professional status, rather than actual merit, by those who have already achieved a high professional status. They have an inherent interest in a system in which their coveted positions are handed down to those who pay them the most deference. If I did it, anyone can, is the greatest lie told by those who have secured a level of success that will, by definition, only ever be available to a tiny, fortunate minority. My life is good, yours is bad. Don't think about why, just smile. Can't we all just get along? Me from the penthouse and you from the gutter? Wow. Whew. So again, if you'd like to reread that, if you'd like to share it with folks, um, you can check it out at splinternews.com. Again, it was written by Hamilton Nolan. Of course, successful people want everyone to be nice. Okay. How about some Joan Jet? Sounds like a plan.
and welcome back to the weekly review with Roman. Yay! It is again currently Tuesday, October eighth. This will be played on October eleventh. Wow, I am so tired, and I've got more news stories for you all. So that's great. Oh man. Okay. positive news here and i guess the positive news is news excuse me <laughs> interesting freudian slip there positive news is when folks speak up and rise up in ways to stop evil people from doing their evil things so that is one story we have here the uh acting Se secretary of homeland security was shouted off the stage at an immigration event at georgetown university's law school on monday and that person's name is kevin mac McLeanin, McLeanin, and there's an article in Huffington Post. It's also posted all over Twitter, and also Never Again Action has been sharing a lot of info as well. And this was written by Nick Visser. Let's get to the audio first of all, and then we'll get to the story. And they're playing uh, an ad, and that's nope. That's not what we're here for. So, going to refresh the page. And now let's. Before we go, Acting we go. Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McLeanan had a tough start to his day. Protesters Aww. shouted him down and at an immigration policy forum at Georgetown University earlier today. Listen to that. So many times they shouted him down that Acting Security Secretary eventually walked out. When children are under attack, what do we do? As a career law enforcement professional, I've dedicated my career uh, to protecting the right to free speech and all the values we hold dear in America uh, from, from all threats. So, <laughs> but also given that this is primarily an audience of immigration lawyers, advocates, and law students, uh, to also talk about some of the fundamental issues we face with the current legal framework and its ability to address large-scale immigration flows. Okay. Thank you. McLean's frustration bubbled to the surface last week when he went on the record with the Washington Post. He said he is in an uncomfortable position Aww. because he does not have control over the tone and message of the administration's immigration policy. It was an extremely rare example of a cabinet-level official complaining about how politicized his department has become. In that Washington Post story, the White House praised McLean's job performance. Ugh but they did not say why it has not nominated him for secretary. Ugh. And, and its ability to... Um, also, just, like, politicize. I, ugh. Okay, I'm going to read the article, because what a, what a fucking tool. Okay. So a group of protesters interrupted McLean about for about eight minutes at Georgetown's annual immigration law and policy conference, leaving the official visibly frustrated as he tried to read a speech about the Trump administration's hardline policies on the southern border with Mexico, and of course, a reminder that borders are imaginary. And if you were frustrated trying to read a speech being interrupted, imagine how people feel having their family torn apart from them. And... <sighs> being assaulted. Being tortured. 
Activists bearing a sign reading Stand with Immigrants shouted, Hate is not normal, and why are you listening to this crook? As others read off the names of migrant children who have died in Customs and Border Protection custody. They also have a link from C-SPAN. After the third interruption, McAllenan thanked the event's organizer and left the stage. Department of Homeland Security lambasted the activist in a statement Monday saying attendees, they can go fuck themselves. That's um, my statement towards the Department of Homeland Security who are continuing to do this evil and harm people. And... Credo Action, the group that organized the protest, rejected any criticism of its actions. However, saying the institutions that feature Trump administration officials could expect to hear from us. No Trump henchman should be given a platform to spread hatred or defend the racist, xenophobic policies put into place by Donald Trump and Stephen Miller. Uh, Nicole Regalado, Credo's campaign director, said in a statement. Institutions that elevate the architects and enforcers of Trump's hate and normalize that cruelty can expect to hear from us. <sighs> Moving along in the article, just going to share. The White House has also said last month it planned to slash the U.S. refugee resettlement program by nearly half. Uh, and... A little bit more information there. So big thank you to the activists for showing up and shutting that down. Speaking of activists sh uh, showing up and shutting shit down, Harvard College Business Group cancels sponsorship with ICE contractor Palantir after backlash. This is from the Harvard Crimson. I very rarely read pieces from the Harvard Crimson. However, here we go. This was posted 18 hours ago by Shira S. Aviona and Delano R. Franklin, Crimson staff writers. The Harvard undergraduate BGLTQ Business Society canceled a sponsorship with software firm Palantir Technologies last week after facing student backlash over the company's contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Hubs publicized a sponsorship with Palantir, which included an ethical decision-making exercise slated for October 10th over their email list October 3rd. The next day, the organization announced they had canceled the event. Palantir has faced criticism from both immigration advocacy groups and its own employees for its work with ICE in recent months. The firm supplies ICE with an intelligence gathering system that critics allege enables agents to deport increased numbers of undocumented immigrants. Hours after its initial email, Hub sent a follow-up message stating that several students had voiced concerns. At first, the organization announced it would donate any funds gained through the partnership to an immigration-related charity. That evening and the next day, students criticized Hubs over the, the Queer Students and Allies organization email list. The Hubs board then responded over the QSA list, saying they had changed their minds and decided to cancel the partnership entirely. When a member brought up Palantir's relationship with ICE, we had initially thought we could allow them to come to campus and then donate the proceeds to an undocumented charity. But we recognize now that bringing Palantir to campus is harmful no matter where proceeds go, and that it is unfair to students and antithetical to the diverse communities at Harvard, they wrote over the email list. It was a mistake from the beginning, and honestly, board was deeply divided about whether to proceed with this sponsorship altogether, even as of last night, they added. Hubs's board wrote in an email statement to the Crimson that they regret the partnership with Palantir. We actually canceled the event, and Hubs will no longer be hosting it or working with Palantir, as a sponsor until their work with ICE changes. We sincerely apologize to anyone who was hurt by the prospect of this event, and we hope our actions remedied the situation. The statement reads, 
and you can go on and read a little bit more. So uh, one more quote here. Uh, QSA is proud to stand with undocumented immigrants, Kim wrote, and that's the QSA co-chair Angela E. Kim from class of 2021. We appreciate that Hubs listened to community feedback and decided not to partner with Palantir for this event. In light of this, we encourage students and organizations to be actively aware of the companies they choose to work with and support. College students across the country have taken issue with Palantir's undergraduate outreach efforts in recent months. Palantir tried to host a similar ethics tabletop exercise at Duke last month, where it was met with student protests. A petition calling on students to refuse jobs, job offers from Palantir has garnered more than 2,000 signatures from students attending schools, including Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. Whew. So again, this article is found at the thecrimson.com and came out 18 hours ago, which would be early on the 8th or late on October 7th. Okay, we're going to keep pushing along. Oh, my goodness. 700-plus arrested as Extinction Rebellion protests demand climate action. There's also been protests happening around the world, and I mentioned that a little bit last Friday, and uh, th there hasn't been as much news coverage of it, but I wanted to share that now, at least in case we don't get to it this week. Uh, more than 700 activists from Sydney to New York City have been arrested in coordinated climate protests across the globe as activists with Extinction Rebellion shut down streets and occupied public landmarks to demand action on the climate crisis. Nearly 300 were arrested in London after taking over 11 sites in the Westminster area. In New York City, nearly 90 activists were arrested after staging a die-in on Wall Street, pouring fake blood on the iconic bull statue outside the New York Stock Exchange. Dozens were also arrested in Amsterdam, Vienna, and Madrid. In Brisbane, Australia, an activist hung from a story bridge in a hammock for six hours. Activists also took to the streets in Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. And we'll have more on Extinction Rebellion's ongoing protests after headlines. That's the that's from Democracy Now! Uh, and so you can check that out, democracynow.org, um, from October 8th. There's also... <sighs> lots lots more happening. We're going to go back to playing some music and we'll be back uh, after this.
I'm thinking like if I was the And welcome back to the weekly review. I was gonna do a try to do a smooth transition there as the last song on the album. Going into clip from Democracy Now. I'm getting a bit tired. I think I already am tired. I did want to share this uh, about the strike that's still going on um, from the UAW. Democracy. Democracy Now. So let's see here. Are we right? I saw the Saw movie. Uh, see if we can play it. Then with Juan Gonzalez. About 48,000 workers at General Motors have entered their fourth week on strike. It's the longest national walkout at GM by the United Auto Workers in nearly 50 years. Workers are seeking higher pay, protection of their health care benefits, greater job security, and a commitment from GM to build more cars and parts in the United States. This is Steve Gorowski, a striking GM worker in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We've got a company that had $35 billion in profits in the last few years. We've got temporaries that have been here over seven years and are still temporaries, and they're asking for more temporaries. They're moving our plants out of country. They're taking them to Mexico and to China. And now they're asking for concessions on our uh, health care. I don't know about you, but I, that's the reason I took this job. I used to have my own drywall company. I took it for the benefits. On Sunday, UAW officials announced they'd rejected the company's latest offer for saying negotiations had, quote, taken a turn for the worse. In a letter to union members, UAW Vice President Terry Didis wrote, quote, The company's response did nothing to advance a whole host of issues that are important to you and your families. It did nothing to provide job security during the term of the agreement. We're joined now by Steve Frisk, striking GM worker, former president of UAW Local 744. He's currently a union steward, joining us from a studio in Minneapolis. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Steve Frisk. Talk about the demands of the union. I mean, this is historic. It is the longest strike in nearly, what, half a century against GM. That is correct. Uh, just, just to clarify, that I'm from Local 722. Um, but that's okay, no problem. Um, our, our biggest issue is obviously, uh, you, you heard the gentleman there from Bowling Green touch on some of it. Um, moving work out of the country, um, the temporary workers, uh, those are our two biggest issues right now, and also health care, which has become an issue since we went out on strike. Um, 10 years, 11 years ago, this uh, General Motors was going out of business, and they were saved by, by two in, uh, groups of people, their employees, and uh, even more so the taxpayer of this country. Um, if it wasn't for them, they would have been gone. Um, we reopened our contract voluntarily and uh, gave up a lot of stuff, cost of living increases. We took over retirees' health care and benefits. Uh, that was an obligation of General Motors, and the UAW took that over to uh, alleviate and hopefully bring them back from the brink of bankruptcy. Um, so be, we move forward 10 years, and they've made record profits for the last three years of uh, just over $35 million. Um, and they have never given any of those things back to us that we voluntarily gave up. Not only that, but they want to take more away now. 
Um, they're moving the work, like I said, out of the country, which should really irritate the taxpayer of this country who bailed them out with the idea that we're going to keep work here in the United States and have people work here and become productive members of society, and now we're moving it out of the country. Uh, obviously, the, the, earlier the gentleman said uh, from Bowling Green, Mexico and China, those are the two biggest ones. In fact, China has more uh, General Motors employees now than does the United States. Um, this is our, our biggest issue, and, and, and then the real top issue is temporary employees and how they use them, uh, and uh, there's no path for them to come to full-time employment. Um, some of these assembly plants have had temporary employees on their, on their roles, like that gentleman said, for almost seven years. Um, they make just over half of what uh, legacy employees of, of UAWGM make. Um, they have very few benefits. No vacation time off unless it's pre-approved. They have three unpaid vacation days a year, and they have to be pre-approved. So life happens, children get sick, weather, flat tires. Uh, these things happen in life, and, and these people live on pins and needles every day just hoping something doesn't go wrong. Because if they, they can be dismissed for any two minor shop rule violations, they can be dismissed, which well, means being late or anything else. So it, it, it's, it's not right when this country's making record profits to treat their employees who bailed them out and saved them the way they're treating their employees today. Oh, Steve Frisk, over the weekend, there were some indications that there was progress in the talks, at least on issues like wages, uh, but that uh, apparently one of the big sticking points has been this issue of whether GM will bring back some jobs from Mexico to the U.S. Could you talk a little more about uh, the impact of the GM production in Mexico? Because we often hear President Trump talking about how Mexico and China are stealing our jobs, but it's really the multinational U.S. companies that are making decisions to go into places like China uh, and Mexico uh, for greater 